0: Good morning,
1: everyone. <clears throat> Please, oh Lord, help me cause I feel so lonely I don't understand, but still I pray. For well, I will trust in you to get me through this day. But the weight of this world is upon me. I'm so confused and desperately. Asking for your help Please, oh Lord Listen to my cry Where are you? I'm crushed and I could die No friends in sight And still, still, I'm asking why But I know you love me I cling to your word so I can see well beyond this day oh dear lord listen to my plea save me from this pit i feel i'm lost at sea i can't go on so i'm asking you to come and rescue me Your will be done in my God, I will depend to help me see this through. Oh, Lord, I'll trust in you. Oh, yes, I'll trust in
0: Good morning again. Uh, let me hang up the guitar I'll be right back with you. All right, uh, good morning again to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, verse one? Ephesians chapter one, verse one, we're uh, just beginning a study of Ephesians. Actually, we, we did an eight hour uh, introduction and uh, which helps us with the interpretation of the book. <clears throat> and also we are gonna do uh, we just be, uh, we did verses one and two. And uh, we noted in uh, verse one, that Paul was the, uh, identified himself as the author of this epistle. And the recipients were not just the Ephesian Christian community, uh, but also the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, because we know we pointed out this in the the uh, introduction, and when we when we looked at verse one, that part of verse one that uh, this was a circular letter, and uh, then uh, we um, yeah on Saturday we did a uh, kind of an overview of Ephesians chapter one verses three to fourteen, which is actually begins the body of the letter and uh, actually is the preface of the letter, which is uh, in the form of a doxology. So we'll be we're talking about doxologies in our, our class uh, on Saturday. So today, and we're going to now, it, to get through this verse, we're gonna, I'm going to take it in three hours, break it down. Uh, today we'll be looking at the first part of uh, the first assertion in verse uh, first 3, where uh, Paul says, the father's worthy of praise. And then uh, on, uh, on Thursday... Uh, we'll we'll be noting the second half of the verse, which I think is. Uh, let me just give you the the, the lowdown. Of what we're going to be doing in this verse, yeah, on the uh, on Thursday we'll be doing uh, you know the second assertion there, which is that the Father blessed the Church Age believer by means of every kind of spirit appropriated blessing, and then we'll be noting on sa- this coming Saturday the location of the Church Age believer's spirit appropriated blessings, which is of course, and their union identification with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing, uh, taking this verse in three uh, sections, uh, three parts, and three hours, and I'm going very slow through this uh, this preface. It's very important. And it's beautiful. Um, the the as I said before, the it's a big run on, run on sentence according to English standards. You know, we don't like run on sent- sentences in English, but it made perfectly good Greek. You know, Paul, it was brilliant, and uh, so uh, it's a tough for uh, to translate. You because know, we don't like run-on sentences in English, so it's a tough book to, to uh, tough uh, section to uh, translate in Ephesians. But uh, I think the modern translations do a very good job. And uh, so we're going to um, continue this study. And as is, as is our custom, we take a moment to silent the prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to First John one nine. If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing, or distracting, you do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your Word. We thank you for uh, the technology, people taking advantage of it. I thank you for those who are joining me live through uh, a YouTube streaming video. Thank you for the service that they provide. I just thank you, Father, for uh, another day to uh, experience your creation and to have fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are joining me, whether it's live or through the recordings, and uh, in this study of this great epistle uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesian Christian community as we pointed out was to to actually to various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia as you well know mm-hmm. and we also uh, just uh, I just thank you for the gift that you give me I thank you for your faithfulness to this ministry I thank you father for your word and the gift of the spirit and I pray he would do a mighty work uh, to all of us your word says when we're weak we're strong your power is manifested in our human weakness and I just pray that today through the power of the Spirit, you would uh, be able to uh, overcome my human weakness in communicating your word and help me to be so humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. Help me to communicate your full counsel today to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. I also pray, Father, for your people in the audience, help them to learn, understand, and apply accurately what they're being taught, to be uh, humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction as well. I pray, Father, that the technology will function properly. I pray there be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and uploading these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. Thank you for them. Protect them from the evil one. And again, use them mightily. And also for those who might not be uh, a believer in Jesus Christ and not yet a Christian, I thank you for those who might be joining us uh, live or later date through the recordings. And uh, I thank you for them. And I just pray that at some point that the Holy Spirit would be able to uh, make the gospel understandable to them so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. We know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. And you are truth, and so is your Son in the Spirit. So we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. If you could, if you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And what I did on Saturday, I'll do again today. I'll, I'm going uh, to read, I think I read from the ESV last time, but uh, I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, I go to, I use different modern translations. I like the Net Bible. Uh, and uh, and I also like the NIV because I think uh, NIV is the most readable. ESV is excellent. There's a lot of great modern translations. But I also use read from my own translation. So today what I'm going to do is, um, to start off the class, as I did on Saturday, is read the first 14 verses uh, from uh, the, uh, NIV today. And then we'll, uh, read the, the same verses in my translation, which reflects my interpretation. And of course, all translation is, uh, involves interpretation. Any translator will tell you that. And so, uh, this is, uh, we'll do that. And then we'll look at the first statement in verse three, which, as I said before the opening prayer, uh, d- uh, asserts that the father is worthy of praise. And so again, we're taking this verse in three hours And for good reason, once we get through it, you'll understand why. So, you should should be at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, excuse me, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us and the one He loves, Christ. In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, the millennial reign. In him, Christ, we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, the Father's will, in order that we, the church age believer, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory so as we pointed out the uh, this uh, this uh, a preface really to the letter, introduction to the letter, which begins the body of the letter. Verses, it begins the ver, the body of the letter, which is verses three to fourteen. Uh, it's actually, uh, as you can see, to the praise of his glory. You see that at the end of verse six or the beginning of verse six. You see it at the end of uh, was it verse uh, twelve, to the praise of his glo- for the praise of his glory, and then to the praise of his glory in verse fourteen. Well, that exp- uh, prepositional phrase there, it uh, is uh, concluding a um you know it's concluding a discussion in each of those pa- in, in in each of those verses so for instance um when it says in verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace that's uh in as a result of the father's work in eternity past and so as we pointed out verses 3 through 5 talk about the father's work in eternity past and electing and predestinating us and then in verses uh, 7 through uh, 12 uh you have a discussion of the of the, the Lord Jesus Christ's work at the cross and redeeming us, which was also for the praise of the Father's glory. And then in verses 13 and 14, we have a discussion, a brief discussion really, about the Holy Spirit's work and our justification and the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that was for the praise of the, of the Father's grace. So we have a triadic, as we put it, a triadic pattern. We studied these in our Doctrine of the Trinity when we did at Winston Bible Ministries, which is a while seven, eight years ago now. and then at Doctrinal Bible Church where I'm the pastor here in Huntsville. We just finished that study a couple of months ago. And uh, so this is a triadic pattern. Each member of the Trinity is mentioned by Paul in this eulogy, or we could say this uh, doxology. And uh, so uh, we. this is how that this particular um, section of the letter, verses 3 to 14, actually can be outlined. So um, if you could, let's look at my translation of... Uh, these same verses in my, in my uh, translation. Let me put it on the board here. I was doing something before class, then flip it back here. But Alright, so look at Ephesians 1.1 in my translation. Ephesians 1.1, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the saints who are living in Ephesus, specifically to those who are believers in Christ Jesus, May the grace originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ resulting in peace cause itself to be manifested for the benefit of each and every one of you. Verse 3. The God, namely the Father of the Lord who ruling over us who is Jesus Christ is worthy of praise. Namely, because He is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of Spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For He chose us each and every one of us for His own purpose because of Him alone before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. He did this by predestinating us, each and every one of us, for the purpose of adoption as sons, because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure of his will. This was for the purpose of praising his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved, Christ. Because of whom, Christ, each one of us are experiencing that which is the redemption through his blood. Namely, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to his infinite grace. This he provided, this grace, he provided in abundance for the benefit of each and every one of us because of the exercise of a wisdom which is absolute and and divine in nature resulting in the manifestation of an insight which is absolute and divine in nature. Verse 9, He did this by revealing the mystery of His will for the benefit of each and every one of us according to His pleasure, which He planned beforehand because of our faith in and union and identification with Himself. This was for the dispensation, which brings to completion the various periods of history, namely to unite for the benefit of Himself each and every animate and inanimate object in the sphere of the sovereign authority of the person of the one and only Christ. Specifically, to unite for the benefit of himself, uh, to uh, for the benefit of himself, those things in the heavens, as well as those things on the earth, in the sphere of the sovereign authority of himself. Verse eleven. Because of whom, Christ, each and every one of us has been claimed as a possession because of having been predestinated according to the predetermined plan, the Father's plan, namely the one who is causing each and every animate and inanimate object to function according to his purpose. That is, that is his sovereign will in order that each and every one of us would belong to a particular group of people, namely those who are certain of possessing a confident expectation of blessing because of their faith in and union and identification with the one and only Christ for the purpose of praising his glory. Verse 13, correspondingly because of whom Christ each and every one of you, we sealed by means of the omnipotence of the one and only promised spirit who is holy because each and every one of you obeyed the one and only message which is truth, namely the proclamation of the one and only gospel which produced your salvation, specifically because each one of you believed in him. The spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until he redeems his possession at the rapture for the praise of his glory. So, we see Ephesians 1.3, as we read in the, the NIV and in my translation, contains two declarative statements. The first is elliptical, meaning it's missing the verb amy there, but it's implied. And the second is exegetical. It's explaining uh, the first, the first assertion in the verse, the first statement. Now, the first, as we just read, asserts that God the Father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses certain attributes which are worthy of praise. The second statement identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise and it asserts that he is the one who has blessed Paul and the recipients of this epistle and of course us by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So if you can see in my translation the first assertion says the God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us who is Jesus Christ possesses certain inherent attributes, which are worthy of praise. Then the second statement, it's explaining that first statement. And I I cue that in by using the word namely. And then it's actually identifying for us the reason why the father is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Let me just get rid of this uh, one little thing here. I was... I had, had an old, uh, I didn't have an updated translation of verse 3 on my notes, so I apologize, my notes were a little bit, uh, when it, my uh, translation of Ephesians 1-3, and the notes I sent out, you people get the notes, I, uh, I gave the wrong translation, it wasn't I had left out, it's not the updated one, well the one, the most recent one I had, I don't know how I got that into my notes, but it wasn't too far off, but this is the the, right, the correct translation you see on the board. So it says, The, the God, namely the Father of, our, of the Lord, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, possesses certain inherent attributes which are worthy of praise. Then the second assertion identifies specifically the reason why that is, why the Father is worthy of praise from us, namely because He is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing. And then on, on next Saturday, we'll, it's, it's located, these spirit-appropriated blessings are located in the heavenlies in Christ. In other words, because of our union identification with Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, that's where they're located. All blessings that we have as church-age believers are because of our union identification with Christ. So, what does that mean? Uh, for those you might not know, for those who've been following my teaching for a number of years, you know exactly what I'm saying. You probably could probably repeat it for me. I would hope some of you would. But um, at the moment of your conversion, your justification. So you were a sinner, I was a sinner, and we're unregenerate sinners, we're spiritually dead. Well, at the moment of our, it's out when the Holy Spirit, was, when the gospel was being communicated to us, the Holy Spirit was making it understandable to us because we're spiritually dead, and spiritually dead people can't do anything. Well, the Holy Spirit enabled us to understand the issues here, the gospel. Basically, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, for our justification. And whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. So, uh, when we believed in him, trusted in him as our Savior, and to do that, you have to believe he's both God and man because he's the the mediator between God and man. So if you say he's not a human being or he's not deity, you're not going to get saved because you and I need a mediator between a holy God because we're sinners. And Christ is that, the God-man. So then, also you have to believe he rose from the dead because if he's not raised from the dead, then, his death is meaningless. And uh, and also he's just another dead person who thought he was something that he was not. But he did rise from the dead, which vindicated him and demonstrated to all of human the human race that he is uh, satisfied, propitiated by the son's work on the cross and suffering the wrath of God in our place as sinners. And of course he lived the perfect life of obedience that we couldn't do. So the whole God put the human race under the first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Paul talks about that in First Corinthians 15, 22. And Romans chapter 5, 12 through the end of that chapter is magnificent and it tells you about that as well. So when we believed in Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit, he placed us in union with Christ and identified us with Christ in his crucifixion, his death, his burial, resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. All those are very important as we'll see in this study. And so the reason why he did that is because we're into the headship of Christ. God looks at us as he sees Christ crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with us. He doesn't, with him. And he doesn't see us according to our sins and transgressions. Okay? So you get your identity. You define yourself. Not by how much money you have, or how good looking you have, or you are, or the home you live in, or what kind of job you have, or what kind of power you have, or how many likes you have on Facebook. You know, you, you, or how smart you think you are. Uh, all that stuff is really not something you want to define yourself by because every single one of those things I mentioned and there are more you could lose and what you will lose eventually we lose if we live long enough we lose our health we die uh we don't uh, we don't not as beautiful anymore i mean i used to have hair now i'm bald i can't see and uh and there's you know so you you can't define yourself by your looks because if you do you're going to be a miserable person because you're going to lose those looks eventually. And you can do all the plastic surgery you want. Some of it's kind of backfired for some people. It's pretty disgusting. But just, you know, so don't, and so if, uh, I mean, if you think because you have money, you define yourself by your money or the possessions you have, you can lose that too. That's what, you know, if you look at the depression when that crash, stock market crashed, a lot of people jumping out windows that, during that time because who are they? They, they? they lost their money, so they don't know who they are. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that if you look at the, uh, this uh, kind of the history of, of like, uh, you know, like entertainers, like the Beatles, that whole period after uh, they stopped touring, they, they, were, they were trying to figure out who they were. They didn't know who they were. they were. They were the Beatles and they were idolized. But they themselves really didn't, where do we, you know, what, what is this all about? What is life? What is the meaning of life? You know, is this all there is to it? You know, they were at the top of the heap and they was like, I'm not happy. They were saying, you know, that's why, you know, uh, George went into Eastern Meditation, which is basically using was in pantheism. And John was all over the place with drugs and everything. And then you had, you know, Paul was just, you know, he just wanted to make you know, music and play, you know, and make a lot and still do what the Beatles were doing. And Ringo was like, you know, going along for the ride too. And so, but they, you know, they, they were going through a difficult time, you know. Who, who am I? And uh, so a lot of people don't know who they are and uh you know they don't they define themselves by these things that are temporal that 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 are going to be taken away eventually so when you define yourself as, as a, because of who god, that god loves you he, i mean he loved you and values you and at me and everyone in the human race that he sent to son to suffer his wrath on the cross so that we all of us in the human race would not suffer in the lake of fire forever i mean that's that's telling you so much how much he cares about us and then you know he gives us the forgiveness of sins through faith in his son. He looks at us as crucified, died, buried, raised, and sea with Christ. In fact, in eternity past, he elected and predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8, 28 to 30. <laughs> and and so, uh, and as you can see in this, he adopted us as sons. So he loves us and cares about us. And that's what you can hang your hat off and hang on, hang your hat on in life. Because as Paul demonstrated to us, basically Lost his status in Jewish culture when he became a Christian, and started following Jesus, and he was persecuted, and he, you know, he was disowned, he was betrayed. I mean, you, you read Paul's story; you, you can read it in Philippians three, you can read it in First uh, Timothy one, Second Corinthians four. I mean, he's went through a lot, but uh, he had a dynamic mental attitude. It didn't matter because he knew who God, that God loved him and how God valued him, and Christ is the Lord Himself. So he he, he didn't when those things you know, money and status and, you know, was taken away from Paul and he was considered the scum of the earth. It didn't affect his mental attitude. It didn't affect uh, his, uh, his view of himself. He knew God loved him. He was in union with Christ. He knew how God valued him. And so he defined himself because of that union identification with Christ and that love that God had for him when he was his enemy. So that's what God wants you and I to do so that we're not, uh, you know, slave to our circumstances and, and the public opinion. And uh, one of the things that got me through, and some of you, a lot of you know already that follow me, I back in my first church, man. I at the, I suffered uh, a church, a church split really bad at the that last year, uh, two thousand ten. And there was stuff that was, sl- I mean, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I never had, I was never a, an unpopular person when I was growing up. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm like, you know. But I, I did. I didn't have any problems with people, really. You know, but when I got, you know, when this happened, I was like, I was slandered. The things that people said about me, I was like, really? They said that? And like, you know, some of this stuff was just off the wall. Like, and because uh, people would, people would tell me, did you hear? What they, you know, they sent this email out and they did this, I was like, really? And I was like, it's like I thought they were talking about somebody else. <laughs> They're talking about me, and uh, I was like, wow. And then it was terrible, you know, because I'm in Iowa with a very tight-knit, uh, tight-knit, uh, uh, close-knit community, farming community, and everybody's, you know, in each, each other's pockets and everything. And I'm the outsider. I always felt like I was the outsider there. And uh, so, you know, now is was like thrown off to the side of the road. And of course, I had some families that stuck with me we started the church and Mary and I was headed up by the Thompsons. We were awesome. Um, and so, but... My view, you know, I, I, people can say what they want about me. It didn't affect one way. I mean, yeah, you were hurt, but it's like, you know, okay, you know, there's a devil. And this is, this, this sinners, And, you know, it was really hard, you know, to lose touch with those people. I love those people still play for pray for those people. But, you know, their opinion of me or anybody's opinion of me is not going to change my, you know, I know God loves me. And he knows who I am, and he knows what I'm trying to do for him, and he knows my motivations and you know, for doing this and everything. So I don't really care what people really have to say. I mean, to a certain extent, I do, but not. as far as my, uh, you know, it's not going to make me depressed if you don't like me. <laughs> it's like, and if you don't like, if you don't agree with what I'm doing, I, I that doesn't matter to me. It's like, I put it out there. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You know, so Paul's talking about. Our union identification with christ it's in the heavenlies in christ These spirit appropriated blessings so again we see that ephesians 1 3 contains two declarative statements the first is elliptical and uh, that means it's missing a word which is not uncommon it's uh, the word amy and the second as i pointed out to you is ep exegetical meaning it explains the first so the first as we pointed out asserts that god the father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses attributes which are worthy of praise the second Identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise and it asserts that He is the one who has blessed Paul and the recipients of this epistle in you and I by means of each and every kind of Spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now, as was the case in Ephesians 1.2, the word Theos, God, here in Ephesians 1.3, refers to the Father, of course, which is indicated in both passages by the fact that the word is modified by the noun Pater, Father. So this title emphasizes the absolute authority, the term pater, father, it emphasizes the absolute authority that the first person of the Trinity has over creation, all creation, and the church. You can compare that with First uh, Corinthians 8, 6 and for Ephesians 1, uh, 4, 6. Now, as was the case in Ephesians 1, 1 and 1, 2, the word for Lord, kurios, uh, in the Greek is in Ephesians 1, 3, as it was in verses 1 and 2, is applied to Jesus Christ. And it indicates the following. One, this term Lord indicates the uh, the Son's equality with the Father and the Spirit. Number two, it it indicates Jesus Christ's joint rulership with the Father over the entire cosmos, the time-matter-space continuum. Number three, it indicates His highest ranking position as Chief Administrator and the Divine Government. Number four, It indicates his absolute sovereign authority as ruler over all creation and every creature. And then number five, lastly, it indicates his victory over the sin nature and Satan and his cosmic system uh, through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. Now, in his deity, Jesus Christ is Lord. However, in his human nature, he received this title as a result of his obedience to the Father's will which he which called for him to suffer a spiritual and physical death on the cross as a substitute for every member of the human race, past, present, and future. So uh, hold your place. Look at a, a Philippians chapter two, and let's start at verse one. Philippians two one. Philippians 2.1, therefore, Paul writes to the Philippians, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in the Spirit, having one purpose, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity. Each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. And so he's defining what humility is there. Now he's going to give us an example, the perfect example of humility. Verse five, you should have the same attitude. I love that translation by the NIP Bible. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Jesus Christ had, who Jesus Christ, though he existed in the form of God, the essence of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. So he's equal with God. But he emptied himself. And actually, I believe the King James actually has a better... I'm laughing because uh, the King James only crowd doesn't really like me. But uh, they're really good in translating the verb kano'o. He made himself of no reputation. That's exactly what it means. When it says emptied makes it... I mean, it has that meaning, this word kano'o. But it makes it sound like he's emptying himself of his deity. That's not what it means. And the three participial clauses that follow it, they basically tell us how he made himself of no reputation by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature, became a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And and again, that death is not just the physical death. It really was the spiritual death. What I mean by that is when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing the wrath of God, not just physically with the crucifixion, the scourging, and physical death, but also more terrifying to him was being abandoned by his father, loss of fellowship with his father during those last three hours on the cross. He, he offered himself up to the eternal spirit, but the transaction to, to redeem us was between the father and the son. So for the first time ever, and you know, they'd always had perfect fellowship with each other for, from eternity past, always. But for these three hours, they, they sacrificed this for us. To me, that's the most mind-blowing thing of all that, see, we they. How do you think they identify? How do you think they valued their fellowship with each other? I think they valued it pretty much. Jesus, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was telling you how much he valued. He was to the point of, I mean, he was crushed that he had to do this. That's why he said, "Let this cup pass." Nevertheless, not my will, but you all will be done. That's the that's the depth of the cross. There, he that is incredible what he did. That tells you how he did this voluntarily. And so this wasn't child abuse. It's some knuckleheads, liberal scholars. When I say liberal scholars, I'm talking about the, in their theology. They don't believe in the supernatural and whatnot. So this is what goes on here. And now look what happens, because he did this. Verse nine, and now we have the katabasis. The katabasis was uh, the, um, the, the verses uh, six to eight. The anabasis is this gradual ascent. We saw the gradual descent in verses six to eight of Christ. And then while we have the ascent of Christ, the anabasis, in verses 9-11. through 11. So it says, as a result, God exalted him, the Father did, in his human nature. And he gave him the name, that's really the word name means onomat, in this context means uh, title, that is above, or excuse me, rank. He gave him the rank, we could say, that is above every rank. So that at the name, or the rank of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, he's Lord. So, we go back to Ephesians chapter one, verse three. So this word Lord emphasizes the victory that Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, accomplished for the believer through his spiritual and physical deaths and resurrection. His spiritual death resolved the problem of personal sins, which are produced by the sin nature through the function of human volition. His physical death solved the problem of the sin nature, which resides in the genetic structure of the human body. You don't believe me. What does it say in Genesis? Back to the dust of the ground you shall go. Why do you think we get sick and die? Why do you think Jesus couldn't have Joseph to be, the, the, his, the, um, have, uh, be the, his father, you know, get, get Mary pregnant? Why, why could they do that? Because the, the, father said, the father and mother passed the sin nature down, and particularly the father. He's the plant and the seed in sex. So he couldn't have a, he couldn't have a human father. Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. That's why. So that's so. He, so that's why I'm saying the we're, our bodies are contaminated by a sin nature, and that's why we get sick and die. And that's why I look at like I do, <laughs> and that's why we age. Okay. So then we go on to say, we see here that his resurrection guarantees the believer that he or she will receive a resurrection body at the rapture of the church, which will be immortal and minus the sin nature. Now. The articulate construction of the noun curios lord. In the word articulate means it has a definite article, and in English that's the word the. But in Greek, it has a lot of usages and uh, and very interesting. But here, um, the article of this word curios lord is it, used with the plural form of the personal pronoun ego, which means our, and together they denote possession. And this expressing this is expressing the intimate relationship between Paul and the recipients of this epistle and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as was the case in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the word Christ, Christos, here in Ephesians 1, 3, emphasizes that Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate Son of God, delivered the believer, you and I, from the the sin nature, personal sins, the devil and his cosmic system, spiritual and physical death, and eternal condemnation through his substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths and resurrection. So therefore, this word Christ, Christos, it denotes the messiahship of Jesus, of Nazareth. Thus, he is the deliverer of the human race in three areas, through his death, resurrection, ascension, and session at the right hand of the Father. One, he delivered us from Satan, enslavement to him. And number two, enslavement to the cosmic system of the devil. Remember, the whole world is under the power of Satan's cosmic system. And number three, the indwelling old Adamic sin nature. So the Lord's messiahship has a fourfold significance. One, separation under God. Number two, authorization from the Father. Number three, divine enablement. And number four, He's the coming deliverer. That's what this word Christ uh, says, or Messiah, as some translate it, but it means, it indicates, and that's the significance of it. So this word Christ, it also uh, signify, uh, signifies the uniqueness of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the God-man. So this word, Christ, signifies that Jesus of Nazareth served God the Father exclusively. And this was manifested by his execution of the Father's salvation plan, which was accomplished, again, by his voluntary substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross. So this word, Christ, signifies that the Lord Jesus has been given authority by the Father to forgive sins and give eternal life and authority over all creation and every creature as a result of executing the Father's plan from eternity past. It denotes, this word Christ denotes that Jesus was perpetually guided and powered by the Holy Spirit during his first advent. The word uh, Christ comes from a word that talks about being anointed or smeared with oil, and so which signifies in the Old Testament many times the Holy Spirit. So lastly, this word Christ it signifies that Jesus is the promised deliverer of the human race from the bondage of Satan and his cosmic system and the old adamic and dwelling sin nature. Now, here in Ephesians 1:3, we have this word Eulogatos. It's translated worthy of praise. Let me give you some translations here. What the Net Bible says, blessed. Okay. This is the word Eulogatos, and the Net Bible translates it blessed or blessed. Now, the NIV. Uh, they have praise be. I like that better. Praise be to God, the Father, to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word actually means praise. you to us. Uh, the ESV. Uh, they have blessed. Uh, let me get you some other translations. Uh, let's see if I can get them here. We'll get a whole, uh, several different ones. See how they translate it as well. Let me get the text comparison here. Oh, when I have my Greek, here, What good is that? All right. Let me just get the English translations up here. All right. There we go. So, uh, today's NIV, they have praise, of course. Um, Lexa Bible, they have blessed. blessed. Uh, let's see. Um, the New Living Translation has all praise to God, which is, I like, good. The Holman uh, Standard Bible has praise. Um, the uh, NRSV has blessed. And so, and I think, the, yeah, the King James has uh, blessed. So, you know, all these uh, particular translations I believe the best way to translate this word is worthy of praise because that's what this word is actually uh, pertaining to. So um, so worthy of praise, the, this particular word, ad, this adjective, which I translate worthy of praise, is making the assertion that the Father is worthy of praise because of having blessed the church-age believer in eternity past with each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies and specifically in the person of His one and only Son, the lord jesus christ who sits at the right hand of the father so the clear implication is that the recipients of the ephesian epistle and this is true for all church age believers are obligated to worship the father because of the spirit appropriated blessings he has imparted to each of them in eternity past when he elected them and these blessings are appropriated by the church age believers faith in jesus christ at the moment excuse me of their justification they are also appropriated after justification through faith in the Spirit-inspired scriptures. So, uh, let me, uh, let's, uh, I wanna get the, uh, see if I can get um, some lexicons uh, in there. Their, uh, oh, that's not what I want here. Okay, let me just get this here. I wanna look at the, because uh, my, this is my, what you see on the board is my exegesis and exposition. It's gonna be in PDF format. It's gonna be on our websites at uh, org and an academia edu website. But I go into, this is like what you, what people download, but here's a, I'm gonna look up what does here. See if they have some things here. Yeah, so this is in my notes, it would be be up on our website. It, this word, does, it pertains to a person who is worthy of praise or commendation. And um, that's uh, Lawanida, they're one of those lexicons with BDA, uh, BDAG, you know, um, uh, Bauer and Gingrich, those guys, and Danker. But uh, so that word, um, this particular word, eulogetos, uh, is, as uh, uh, Esau Macaulay writes, this word is related to eulogeto, and it's used exclusively in the New Testament to refer to God. When the writers of the New Testament want to sum up or introduce God, they often describe him as the blessed one. So uh, this word, eulogetos, is, uh, is uh, speaking of uh, something that's praised. That the Net Bible, here's, here's a good note from them. They said, there's no verb in the Greek text of Ephesians 1.3. Either the optative or the indicative can be supplied. Now, they say the meaning of the term, eulogetos is the author's intention at this point in the epistle and the literary genre of this material must all come into play to determine which is the preferred nuance. They say eulogetos as an adjective, can mean either that one is praised or that one is blessed that is in a place of favor and benefit the meaning blessed would be more naturally paired with an indicative verb here and would suggest that blessedness is an intrinsic part of god's character the meaning praised would be more naturally paired with an optative verb here and would suggest that god ought to be praised pauline style in the epistles generally moves from statements to obligations expressing the reality first and then the believers necessary response which would favor the indicative however many scholars they say regard uh, Ephesians 1 3 through 14 as a Baraka psalm. Now listen what they say. It's rooted in the Old Testament. They think this this uh, Paul's use of this word eulogetos is rooted in the Old Testament and Jewish worship. Baraka psalms were songs of praise, in which the worshipper gave praise to God. And this would favor the optative. And so when they say they then they go on to say, when considered as a whole, although the decision is difficult, the indicative seems to fit. All the factors better. This the author seems to be pointing to who God is and what he has done for believers in this section, the indicative more naturally fits that emphasis. And so so I'm translating this particular word, eulogate us is worthy of praise. And uh, because uh it's based, it's in context, it's talking about um what God is the Father has done through both the Son and the Spirit for the church age believer. Which is serves as the uh, these days serves as the basis for praising him. So I think that the context fits. I believe uh, the translation of worthy of praise. So we see that uh, when we're talking about again, if you look on my in my notes on the board, you locate to us worthy of praise is making the assertion that the Father is worthy of praise because of having blessed us in eternity past with every each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies. And specifically in the person of His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. As I noted a few moments ago, the clear implication is that the recipients of the Ephesian epistle, and this is true for all of us church-age believers, are obligated to worship the Father because of the Spirit-appropriated blessings He has imparted to each one of us in eternity past when He elected us. So these blessings, as I said as well, are appropriated by the church-age believers' faith in Jesus Christ at their justification, their conversion. They were also a prayer appropriated after justification, after conversion, through faith in the Spirit-inspired scriptures. Now, when Paul asserts that the Father is worthy of praise, he's alluding to worshiping the Father. One of the essential aspects or parts of a productive prayer life for the church-age believer is worship and reverence of God the Father. Prayer is a means by which you and I can worship and adore and revere God. So, uh, we studied prayer when I was back in Massachusetts a couple of years ago in 2020, we did a 37-hour series on it. There's a PDF document on our Wednesday.org site and also Academia EDU website. It's entitled "A Productive Prayer Life 2020 Edition," I think it's called. And uh, so uh, we talked. We talked about this aspect. That one of the essential aspects of a productive prayer life is that we pray. And when we when, uh, productive, of course, we pray. It's that we worship God in prayer. Very, very important. So. To worship God. What is to worship God? To worship God is to adore God as the Holy Spirit reveals Him in the Scriptures and through the person of Christ. Worship is the act of paying honor and reverence to God and it derives from love. Where there's little love, there's little worship. Worship is the loving ascription of praise to God the Father for whom and what He is. It is the bowing of our souls and spirit and deep humility and admiration before Him as it says in Psalm 2, 11, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, serve the Lord in fear, repent in terror, give sincere homage, otherwise he'll be angry and you will die because of your behavior when his anger it quickly ignites. How blessed are all who take shelter in him. Cool passage there. The believer, you and I, are to worship the Father spiritually by means of truth, i.e. the word of God. And in uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, John 4:23 and 24. As, uh, if you look on the board, look at John 4:23. The, <clears throat> the Lord was speaking to a Samaritan woman, which was outrageous back then. A rabbi didn't talk to women like that. and of course, when definitely the Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. It was a big racial problem. Uh, big time. They, there was a lot of racial. Uh, um, there was a lot of racial problems going on between those two people, and uh, the gospel, of course, solved that problem. Really, when you think about it, and it could solve our problem with racial problems in our country if people would, people in the Christian community, the pastors, would believe that evangelists. Look at Ephesians 4, uh, John 4:23. But a time is coming, Jesus said to her, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and the people who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Some believe, and I'm a firm believer of this as well, by means of the Holy Spirit, which is through obeying with the Spirit-inspired scriptures, which are truth. So the church's destiny, people, is to worship the Lord. That's as revealed in Ephesians chapter, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter four, uh, chapter four and five. That's our destiny, people, is to worship Jesus Christ. And those two chapters in Revelation, uh, which uh, talk about what takes place after the rapture, indicates this. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ taught His disciples that the second part of a prayer, uh, productive prayer life, is is the worship, reverence, and honor and respect for the Father. Look at Luke chapter eleven, verse one, and I'm reading from the NET Bible. uh, Excuse me, the New American Standard Bible. It says that in the New American Standard the 95 version, I got to get the updated version, which is reminding me what I need to do about that. I get that newer version. But Luke 11, one says it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples, John the Baptist. And he said to them, when you pray, say, father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, what in the world means hallowed mean? What does that mean And, uh, and uh, today to us? Well, look at the Net Bible. Look at what they say. They do a better job. Uh, it says, uh, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, the Lord teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be honored. That's excellent. May your kingdom come. Uh, let's see the ESV. Let's see what they have. Uh, it says, um, do, 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 do. he says, yeah, they use, hallowed be your name. They use the same thing. Yeah, let me see what the ESV does. Or uh, the New, New American uh, NIV. I probably followed, the where probably follows them. No, hallowed be your name. So that's one of those words, hallowed, that people probably don't want to take out of translations because they remember it. You know, it's rememberable. It's part of the culture, you know, Christian culture for a while you know the the lord's prayer it's actually the disciples prayer so people like that word hallowed to me i like what the net bible does because does anybody in english really know what hallowed means <laughs> and so uh hagiago is the word that's translated hallowed or may your name be honored by uh that the and uh, i uh, net bible has this word hagiago li- literally means may your person be revered honored and respected that's why I like the Net Bible, but that's what it means. Hallowed, I understand the King James when they had the word hallowed. Okay, that's older English, but we don't talk that. We don't use that word anymore, really. So to revere God entails opening up our lives so that the Holy Spirit may work in making us more like his son. Surely, this is to be a prayer of surrender. Get the full screen here for you. Surely this is to be a prayer of surrender and commitment, for God's name is never hallowed at least not by us, as long as we're walking in rebellion and self-dependence. Now, Psalm 145 is a perfect example of how we should worship God in prayer. Uh, Look at um, Psalm 145. See how long this is? Yeah. Psalm 145, look at verse 1. A psalm of praise by David. It was a lyrics to his song. We don't know what the music was. I will extol you, my king, my God, my O oh, king. I will praise your name continually. Every day I will praise you. I will praise your name continually. Uh, a little rhetorical question we all need to answer Do we do this enough? Do you do this every day? I don't know if I do this every day. I try to in prayer. You know, every day I'd have a certain thank God, you know, and, and, and praise him for what he's done. So I, I try to do it every day. I, I usually start my, my prayer at the, end, the beginning of the day. But, um, so we need to continually praise Him. The Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. No one can fathom His greatness. One generation will praise your deeds to another and tell about your mighty acts. I will focus on your honor and majestic splendor in your amazing deeds. They will proclaim the power of your awesome acts. I will declare your great deeds. They will talk about the fame. Of your great kindness and sing about your justice the Lord is merciful and compassionate he is patient and demonstrates great loyal love the Lord is good to all and has compassion on all he has made all he has made will give thanks to the Lord your loyal followers will praise you they will proclaim the splendor of your kingdom they will tell about your power so that mankind might acknowledge your mighty acts and the majestic splendor of your kingdom your kingdom is an eternal kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord supports all who fall and lifts up all who are bent over. Everything looks to you in anticipation, and you provide them with food on a regular basis. Verse 16, you open up your hand and fill every living thing with the food they desire. The Lord is just in all his actions and exhibits love in all he does. The Lord is near to all who cry out to him, all who cry out to him sincerely. He satisfies the desire of his loyal followers, and he hears their cry for help and delivers them. The Lord, amen to that, because He's done that to me a number of times. The Lord protects those who love Him, but He destroys all the wicked. My mouth will praise the Lord. Let all who live praise His holy name forever. So, there are four English words. We'll wrap up our study today with this. There are four English words, reverence, respect, awe, and wonder, which express the concept of worshiping God. Webster's defines the word reverence a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe and veneration. So if we paraphrase this definition and apply it to the Father in this context of Ephesians 1.3, we would say that the Christian's response to a study of the Father is to possess an attitude of deep respect and awe for him. Uh, Webster's also defines respect as esteem for, for or a sense of the worth or excellence of a person a personal quality or trait or something considered as a manifestation of a personal quality or trait. Thus, the Christian should esteem the excellence of each member of the Father, excuse me, not each member of the Father, but each the Father, as uh, manifested through his personal qualities or attributes such as love, faithfulness, mercy, compassion, justice, righteousness, truth, omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, immutability, and sovereignty. Webster's also defines awe as an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. Thus, if we paraphrase this definition, we could say to the Christian, we should possess an overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration for the Father. And then lastly, Webster's defines wonder as to be filled with admiration and amazement or awe or marvel. The Christian, if we paraphrase this definition, and apply it to our passage today, the Christian should be filled with an admiration, amazement, and awe in response to the Father. So, when the Apostle Paul says what he says here, that in verse Ephesians 1-3, the God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us all, who is Jesus Christ, possesses certain inherent attributes which are worthy of praise, uh, we need to understand that uh, he's talking about worshiping the Lord, talking about worshiping the Lord, and all that involves, as I just pointed out to you, uh, we, as we pointed out at the very end of our lesson here, what we have, we have a wonder, awe, and also respect and reverence. These are all terms, English terms, that are involved in this concept of worshiping our Heavenly Father. So uh, Paul's saying here at the very first statement that the Father is worthy of praise, and that's praise from us. And he's going to tell us the reason why that is throughout the rest of this uh, doxology or this preface the introduction to the letter and uh, because he's worthy of praise based upon what the son's done for us at the cross and what the Holy Spirit did for us at our justification our conversion and what he did for us the father did for us in eternity past electing us by predestinating us as we'll see to adoption as his sons, and Paul talks about predestination in relation to being conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ. So these are some of the things that we we, we can uh, praise God for, and you know, uh, so it's part of our worship, thanksgiving to God for these things, is part of our worship. And one of the things that uh, it should uh, it should cause us to worship. This book is Ephesians is a book where, um, when you study it, it 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 should. Uh, Prick your conscience; it should be like moving you to worship God, because in the first three chapters, Paul is just like, like look at look at all that God did for us at, uh, in eternity past and our justification through the work of the Son and the Spirit and what the Father did for us in eternity past, electing and pre- predestinating us. And so uh, then he goes on in chapters four, five, and six to give us the application of the things that he's taught us in the first three chapters. So. Uh, so right off the bat, Paul's talking about worshiping the Father here in Ephesians 1, three. And now, as I said before, on Thursday, we'll be noting the reason, the next statement in verse 3 following this one, that the Father's worthy of praise. The next statement tells us why. It explains why. It's up exegetical, as we pointed out. It'll explain why the Father is worthy of praise. So let's, uh, and then we get the Spirit comes involved here. So we'll have all three members of the Trinity already in the first three verse three uh being mentioned a triadic pattern so we'll pick this up on thursday 11 a.m central standard time thank you for joining us and uh let's close in prayer heavenly father we pray that this lesson be a great blessing to your people bringing glory to you and your son jesus christ ministering to your people and any unsaved and our lord and savior jesus christ name we pray amen